You know, every time um, we have VBS, I find out how not seriously I'm taken in this church. <laughs> and uh, not sure what y'all are going to do with the rest of the morning um, with being able to hear uh, the word of the Lord come out of a guy who just had to do that. So uh, get your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. <laughs> it, felt, it felt good. It felt good. Actually, we're going to be in Ephesians 4, not Ephesians 5. Ephesians 4. Not that I got that wrong. I just have it wrong in my notes. Ephesians 4. Guys, we've been in this series called One Another, and we're going to be in it all summer. And the idea is that we need to have a good conversation about what it looks like to be a body, what it looks like to be a local flock together. And one of the ways we can do that is look at the different commands that Scripture gives to one another. Uh, and we've, we've covered two so far, love one another and confess to one another, and today we've got a, another one. But the reason why we're doing this, uh, I would just continue to keep putting before you different kind of uh, ideas as to why. Uh, I came across, a, I've been reading a book by Tim Keller, and he, he, he referenced something from Francis Schaeffer. He said that Francis Schaeffer, who's a philosopher and theologian, he argued that our relationships with one another— constitute the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. He goes on to say that the Christian community, what people see among us is the final apologetic for our faith. And so it's really important that we get this right. Now, another thing that's really important to get right is parenting. Amen? Right? Father's Day, welcome. Happy Father's Day to you all. Um, wanted to uh, just kind of put before you that one of the things as fathers, especially as parents in general, you, you usually have to do on a daily basis is pick your battles, right? You got to pick which ones you're going to fight, and you got to pick which ones you're going to let slide, right? You're going to weigh out what you're going to let go, and you're going to weigh out what you're going to correct, right? So for example, uh, you can have a child who collects all of the tissue boxes in the house, brings them to the living room, and proceeds to pull every single tissue out of every single box. Is that a battle that you're going to fight? Some, some say, oh yeah, I don't want to waste those. Others say, at least she's entertained. I can, <laughs> I can go do something else, right? But there's, there's some things that you won't put up with your kids, right? There's some things, you know, I ain't tolerating that. That's not okay. So for, for uh, w w um, some of you, uh, including myself, you don't tolerate the question, why? You don't put up with it. You say, go do this, and they say, why? You don't put up with that. You just say, because I said so. Now, fathers, that's not the example of godliness that I would like to set before you. But you really do pick your battles in parenting. But let's be honest, though. In every single relationship, you have to pick your battles. Whether you're dating, whether you're married, whether you uh, have a friendship, a coworker, right? All of these relationships, every relationship, you're weighing out which battles you pick to put up with or which battles you choose to make. Now, it's kind of a good portable thing when you go across all the circles of relationships and spheres of influence that you have in your life. When you think about what you, you can put up with, what, you, what battles you're going to face or what you're going to let slide. If you looked up on Google Trends, uh, the top 
things typed into on Google says, that says, I will not put up with or do not put up with, I've got a list of what Google says you shouldn't put up with. Uh, the first one, the top rated one, and I'm, I'm not, uh, this is just Google talking, not me. Don't put up with his crap. Um, I hope uh, my wife's not in here. Good. Uh, don't put up with disrespect. Okay. Don't put up with um, the third one was women's games. And everyone got God's quiet. I, I mean, are those like board games designed for women? What about it says don't put up with cheating. Don't put up with drama. Don't put up with a job that you hate. And don't put up with bad behavior. Like, yeah, okay, that's eh, his crap. I don't want to put up with his crap. Makes sense. But there's some behaviors or actions like, yeah, we're going to refuse to tolerate them. We're going to refuse to put up with them. And there's all sorts of people that are going to keep telling us what you should be able to put up with and what you should not. But at the end of the day, we don't get our counsel from Google. We get it from God. No, that was too, that was too easy. <laughs> I didn't even plan that. That's not even in the notes. I'm just kidding. I've heard it like 500 times anyways. Guys, the world's going to counsel us on all the battles that we should make and all the battles that we should let slide. But God has something different in view in his word. And one of the things that he tells us that we as a people of God should put up with is one another. It's everyone here. Actually, the command is specifically to bear with one another. Can you say that? It's commanded twice in the New Testament. So we're going to add this onto our list of the one another's that, 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 that we need to be working through, that we need to be considering with one another. And we're always going to choose to obey this over the worldly counsel. Amen? So, so one of the first things that we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the command itself then we're going to take a look up at God, and then we're going to take a look at how it lands among us today. So let me give you some context for our passage in Ephesians chapter 4. Chapter 3, he just spent a lot of time talking about uh, his ministry to the Gentiles. He starts talking about uh, just how he's praying and things he's praying for for people. He's praying for the church in Ephesus, for their strength. He's praying that the dwelling of Christ would, would be in their hearts, that, that Christ would dwell there, that they, that they would also have the unique privilege of comprehending with all the saints the vastness of God's love and Christ's love for us. So he just talks about all this. And then and at the end of chapter three, there's this doxology, like now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. So in other words, he can do this. And then we get to chapter four in our passage. It says this, therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Note what the main command here is. It's not to bear with one another. No, that's actually a participle. That's a part of the main command. The main command that Paul is giving here is that we will walk worthy of the calling of the gospel that we've received in Christ. And as part of that walking, as part of that journey together, worthy of the call, we are to bear with one another. 
In other words, we're to endure one another. We are to put up with one another. It specifically deals with something adversely coming against you from someone else. It's something that's unsavory. Guys, I got to be honest with you. I love this. I love how much God knew about his church. And I love how he knew that this was going to be a messy place. I love how the Bible openly admits that we all, each and every one of us, have junk others are going to have to put up with. And nobody said amen to that, huh? It's, it's saying, it's like, it, Scripture's clear that we all have these flaws, we have these failures, we have these immaturities, and they affect other people negatively. That others are, are, are going to have to share in the same condition of brokenness because it outs all of us, like we talked about last week, that, that we all have immaturities, that we all have flaws, and that we need to willingly bear with one another. And in doing that, we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. However, uh, so, so if you, uh, again, I, I say this in love, I know this might be hard. If you've made God out to be more about your comfort and ease in life, then this makes no sense to you. If, if you've made this place to be all about what you can take from it, and, and these people all ab- about what you can get from them, then this won't compute. If, if you've listened to more of the counsel of the world than the counsel of the word, then this will conflict with your trained instincts. Why? Because the world, Google, all sorts of blog posts and social media chat rooms and all this stuff, they're going to tell you that we're not to tolerate quote-unquote toxic people. That, that we're, not to, uh, we're, we're not to put up with them. We're actually to cancel them. We're actually to, to cut out people that the world calls toxic. We're to cancel those relationships with those people who just seem to keep draining us. We're to, we're to take withdrawals and like, like or sorry, we're to cancel those relationships with people who take withdrawals from us and never actually make deposits back. We're, we're to cancel those relationships with those who just seem to be taking advantage of us according to our perspective. To, the, to, to cancel those who seem to be uh, trying to control us. Now, if your immediate response is to throw up some defenses, I get it. Yes, we need to have healthy boundaries. Yes, especially with really unhealthy people. Jesus had those too, but he never cut them off, right? He, he always seemed to be going into their homes and spending time with them. So try that. And then, and then not only that, but, but, but yes, we should, have, we should have things that we shouldn't tolerate from other people. That's a clear thing. We're, there's things that should, like we shouldn't allow people to really sin against us repetitively. Right? That's just, there's 1 Corinthians 11. Paul talks about that in many ways. There are things that we shouldn't tolerate. Yes, and also there's things that we, that, like, that we should approach a brother or a sister about and confront and say, hey, when, when you did this, this actually grieved God's heart and it hurt mine. Like there's, there's space for that in Scripture. It makes sense. And all of that is in view. We're not ignoring any of that. 
But even if we're willing to like, say, hey, hey, brother or sister, you, you did this, and that's clearly not according to God's word, that has their good in mind, their growth, not just simply so we can be comfortable and not like, escape the suffering, right? But when it comes, so that's, that's like how, how the world thinks, and, and sure, there should be healthy boundaries, but, but when it comes to the people of God, when it comes to what we get here, in this place, with these people, in this community, our default instinct ought to be to bear with one another, not give up on each other, to put up with the flaws, to put up with the immaturities. Now, I think uh, the next uh, question you're probably asking is, why, why on earth does that benefit anybody? It's hard for me to do that, why would I want to even express any desire to endure adverse conditions in a relationship with somebody who calls himself a follower of Jesus? Why, why would God even ask me to do this with his people? Because that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did with us. Uh, so, so this whole concept of bearing with one another, of, of putting up with one another in the church, right? It comes under the theological concept called forbearance. Can you say that? Forbearance. forbearance. As this is a notable theological term, but I promise you, if you open Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, if you were to open Knowing God by J.I. Packer, if you were to look at any systematic theology book, Charles Hodge, Wayne Grudem, all these different really good books, you'll never find a chapter called The Forbearance of God. You just really won't. It's not a very particularly fun attribute about God. It's biblical, and it's important, but it's not very popular. You know, some time ago, how many of you guys know the name Dr. David Jeremiah? Just show of hands, David Jeremiah. Some of you grew up watching him, right? I grew up watching him, right? I saw him many years ago do a full-on sermon series called God Loves You. Whoa. Awesome. Awesome. They even went so far as to make these rubber bands that, uh, that said, God loves you, so that you could tell people about it. It's good, awesome, great. Could you imagine a televangelist or David Jeremiah or even us doing a sermon series called God Puts Up With You? <laughs> and what if, we, what if we got our rubber bands made? You go to the restaurant, and, and you're eating your meal, and the waitress comes, hey, I like that band. What's it say? Oh, God puts up with you. It's not really the most attractive or warm theological concept, which is why we don't teach our kids a song that goes, Jesus puts up with me, this I know. But when we get down to what the, the Bible actually says, concerning this, it should humble us to the uttermost. And it should bring us to exalting the greatness of our God. You're going to see this probably most prominently in Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a satisfaction by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine what? 
forbearance. His divine putting up with. He had passed over former sins. Passed over them. So implicit in God's forbearance, putting up with, is the idea that he endured, he bore with, he put up our former sins, put up with our rebellion against him. Now, this doesn't mean that he clearly accepts sin, is okay with it. No, he puts up with it. He endures it. Ultimately, to give us the opportunity to repent in Christ. Now, if you know your history well, you know that Israel, the people of God back in the Old Testament, were just like the the rebellious child uh, and, and totally like hot and cold, on and off, like their relationship with God was crazy. Constantly, often going against their father's will, being convicted and being brought back to him. We see that circumstance again in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is praying about this, about the people of God. He said, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you what? Bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Many years He put up with this. He continues praying in verse 31. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful God. Hmm. Guys, if anybody had any reason to cancel a toxic relationship, it would have been God with Israel. It would have been God with humanity. He had every reason to. He had every reason and every right to say, all right, that's it. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And then he uh, smotes us, smoots, what's the word? Smites us. Or he abandons us. Did you see that? He 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 didn't crush them in his wrath, nor did he forsake them. Because he continued to bear with them. God looked over our sin. He looked over our rebellion, our faults and our failures because he was, he was looking forward to the day when Christ, his son, was going to be on the cross and all of our guilt and shame would be atoned for legally. So therefore, we praise God that in his mercy and in his grace, he bears with us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't crush us. But in Christ, our rebellions, our sinful lusts, They're all atoned for, and he never leaves us or brings us under his judgment as Christians, all because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so that amazing truth, this idea, should humble, it should convict, it should encourage us, this simple truth that doesn't get very popular, God bears with you. He puts up with you. And, and, and I'm not trying to insult you here. I think if you know enough of yourself, you're saying, praise God that he puts up with me. Think about it. We just sang all about his faithfulness. What has to be first in order for there to be faithfulness? Forbearance. 
a willingness to put up with, to continue to give the blessing. Now, if your initial response to, to this is, is like, uh, okay, cool, glad that's there. All right, I'm not that hard of a person to put up with. I don't know what you're saying, why it's such a difficult thing. I mean, my wife puts up with me. That's not that hard, right? But that guy over there or that lady over there, man, I'm sure they're very grateful for this. If, if that's your response, then I'm not sure that you understand the holiness of God and the nature of yourself. Because this idea that God is willingly putting up with us, enduring us, as the launch pad for all of his grace and mercy to be poured out over us for all the blessings that we receive astounds me. I mean, you might think that right now he's like got to put up with maybe two or three things about you in your life when in reality he's handling 10,000 things that he's got to bear with you about. So just... Just soak in this, right? Like this reality that God willingly puts up with us. He endures us, but that's the launch pad for all of his blessings for us. And it's an amazing thing. And, and in the same way, just like God does this for us, and just as like God's love com- for us compels love for one another, and just as God's forgiveness of our sins compels forgiveness towards others, God's forbearance towards us compels us to bear with one another. And that's something called mutual forbearance. Can you say that? This idea that there's just this reciprocal nature to it. Something where we each are going to agree to walk in it at all times with one another. Never putting conditions on it. I mean, quite literally, the command here in Ephesians 4 is to put up with one another's flaws. The faults. The failures, the immaturities. And if we needed an example, we've got our Jesus. Jesus himself with his own disciples. When they couldn't cast out a demon because of a lack of faith, he says, oh, how long must I bear with you? Even the chosen 12 had their flaws, had their failures that Jesus himself had to endure, to put up with, to bear with. I said it before, I'm saying it again. I'm so glad that the Bible has this in here. I'm so glad that God's word instructs us to be this way with one another because that frees us up, each of us, from the hypocritical need to think that I or anyone else here am perfect. That frees us up. You don't have to think somebody else thinks that you're perfect because we know God's word. All has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Right? We, we, we've got that. Right? We, we, we're freed up from this pressure to maintain this perfection imagery. And you know what? Because he commands this, this obviously means that if you're perfect, you have nothing to be put up with. If you're perfect in every way, there's nothing adverse coming out of you. So nobody has to actually put up with you. But the counsel we're finding today is not how perfect people can live with one another, because obviously that's impossible. And by the way, if you are trying to find a perfect church and you think you're perfect, as soon as you join that church, that church becomes imperfect because you joined it. 
like the counsel we're finding today about our perfections or imperfections is not about how it's not about how perfect people can live with one another. This is actually about how real, imperfect, flaws, flawed and immature brothers and sisters in Christ can do life and be the church together bearing with one another. I mean, God absolutely knows that every single person who makes up this church family at Waynesboro FM Church has something to be endured. It may be some, 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 some grumpiness that's just like a part of you. It might be some criticalness. It might be some unreliableness. It might be some finickiness. It might be some gossipiness. Not sure that's a word. It might be some clickishiness. I made that one up, definitely. Everyone's got something that somebody else has to endure. But Charles Spurgeon, he pictured the concept of this passage in the body of Christ with the image of a puzzle. So, so picture that each of us is a unique piece in a puzzle with all our angles and all of our edges that can kind of poke and, 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 and prod at other people. That we're, we're kind of not fully shaping yet. We're misshapen and, and unfitting but the puzzle maker's there and he's working on each of us individually, grinding off those sharp edges and, and, and forming us to fit a little bit better and a little bit better as the designer reshapes each one of us. And our edges and then our angles, even though they're apt to conflict when the pieces try to come together, one day they will come together perfectly and make a complete whole picture displaying the beautiful picture of the bride of Christ that that he purchased at Calvary. One of these days, it's all going to come together. So the best thing that you can do is be presenting yourself to the Father for him to be refining those edges and shaping you because he's working you to fit together with other believers. Now, at this point, I would just say, uh, this sounds all great, right? Great. Just, oh, great. It's just great. It's just great. But it's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Like this, I think, I think out of all the one another commands, this is the hardest. Bear with one another. It isn't easy. But how do we get there? Well, if you're a puzzle piece that's putting yourself before the Father, the designer, and he's shaping you and molding you, there's some things that he's going to be putting into you and putting on you as you seek this. Scripture here, this verse, gives us four wheels, illustration, to put on the vehicle of forbearance, of bearing with one another in this passage. And so I'm going to give you the four. The first thing that we're to put on for this is simply humility, gentleness, and patience. Look at verses one and two. Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the manner of the calling you've received, Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness and patience. Guys, we're going to see uh, the same thing quoted in Colossians 3. I'm going to reference this passage a few other times because this is the other place where the command to bear with one another shows up. And this is what it says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
Paul says it's a pretty, pretty vital part, something to put on when you're trying to bear with one another. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Like we need these three things on us, clothing us. At the core of bearing with one another, it's got to start with humility. Guys, it is impossible to be willing to bear with one another in the flock without humility. And just by the way, as I go, I'm going to quickly define what these are and and maybe help clarify some things. So when it comes to humility, I think C.S. Lewis said it really well. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. You're just not on your mind that often. Others are. That sounds like Philippians 2. Once we have humility on, then it's possible for us to know what gentleness looks like among us. It's a, it's a posture of the attitude from humility that, that I hope we all eager to desire. When we think about gentleness, especially on Father's Day, you're talk, telling us to be gentle. Gentleness is not weakness, it's meekness. It's, it's this idea of this soft, understanding, tender, and kindness And once we have that on, once we have on humility and we have on gentleness, then we can kind of move into the next level of patience. Guys, patience is not passive resignation to just let things happen. It is active endurance. And this is pretty much synonymous with bearing with one another. And each one of these, humility, gentleness, and patience, are going to build up to the other. If we're humble, then we're gentle. And if we're gentle, we're patient. And when all three of these come together, it's possible for us to bear with one another. But you got to have these. So, for example, let's say it's like negative five degrees outside right now. And you were to go outside... Would you head outside with a, with a nice little bathing suit on and some suntan lotion? No. No. No, you have to layer up if you're going to endure the cold. You have to put on these thick layers again and again. So we must picture humility and gentleness and patience as three thick layers of clothing that are going to provide us the ability to endure the coldness of another person. So put them on. Put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience. And he says you shouldn't just put them on partly. Like if you're going to go outside, you don't want to just cover up your right arm and it's negative five outside. He says put them all on. Look at verse two. He says... With all humility and gentleness and patience. You've got to put them fully on. Push them all the way into your heart. And they're freely yours in Christ already. So put on humility, put on gentleness, and put on patience. The second thing you need to put on is put on love. Put on love. Look at verse 2. Again, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in what? In love. Tina Turner kept asking, what's love got to do with it? I'm telling you, it's got everything to do with this. Supporting one another. Brothers and sisters, I gotta tell you, trying to put up with one another or bear with one another without love in your heart will only lead to grudges, bitterness, and resentment. Paul is saying that the unconditional love 
that's most visibly displayed by Christ on the cross is to be our guide for our willingness to put up with one another, our mutual forbearance. So like, for example, if we were to rewind all the clocks in history and, and, and go back like to the 90s or maybe, the, yeah, I'd say about the 90s and maybe the early 2000s, what was the way you used to navigate the roads back then? Before MapQuest, it was just maps, right? Or you maybe could go online, if, and MapQuest was a thing, right? You could write out your directions, but you had your directions written out, and they guided you on your trip. In the same way, the love of Christ is meant to be our directions for how we're to bear with one another to get there. In fact, forbearance, the willingness to put up with one another, is inherently a part of love. If you can remember 1 Corinthians 13, love, what all things? Bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all all things. And so I, I, I am going to say something, and I think this is probably going to be the most pointed thing I'll say all morning, so I just want to say I love you. If you are having a tough time enduring someone else, whether it's their personality or immaturities, it's not mainly a problem with their personality, it's a problem with your love. Because you have no control over that person. No authority, no ability to change them. But what do you have responsibility for? Your own heart, your own self. And so if you're having issues, if you're struggling to bear with one another, Let me just free you up from the need to kind of be trying to pray for them constantly for them to change and maybe redirect and say, it's actually an issue with my love. Would you help me love? John Calvin said it this way, where love is strong and prevalent, we shall perform many acts of mutual forbearance. So we've got to put on humility, gentleness and patience. We've got to put on love. Here's a third thing that we're supposed to put on. We're to put on forgiveness. Can you say forgiveness? I'm going to put you back in Colossians chapter 3. This is what he says there. He says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and what? Forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. In other words, in other words, don't wait for an apology from the other person to reactively forgive them. You can choose in your heart to pre-forgive them. You can choose in your heart that you're not going to hold it against them, and that's your choice to bear with them, to forgive their grievances, just as you have been greatly forgiven. In fact, I would just simply say this, that forgiveness enables forbearance. So when we pray for God's grace to enable us to forgive an offense or a sin or a wrong done against us, with or without an apology from the other, then enduring with one another becomes a much more possible thing. And when we've got these things on, when we've got on, when we've got on humility 
and, and gentleness and patience, when we've got on love, when we're, we've got on forgiveness, then we find something at the end of all this that we put on. Put on unity and peace. Oh, brother. Look at verses 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul does something crucial here. He, 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 he lifts up our eyes from our own hearts, from our own performance. He lifts us up to see something that can happen among us if we're looking into our hearts and putting on these things. He casts a vision for something far greater than ourselves, something much greater than just a mutual forbearance. What does he say is the goal that we can have if we make every effort to bear with one another? We get the unity among the brothers and sisters in Christ that's put into effect by Holy Spirit. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be the most peaceful and united place on earth. A guy named Yoder Newfield, he said, the church is the beachhead for a peace that is to extend to the cosmos. And yet if we fail to bear with one another in love, with patience, humility, and gentleness, with forgiveness in our hearts, then, then we're going to disturb the unity and we're going to break the bond of peace that is supposed to be tying us all together as the Spirit applies it to us. The incentive given is that if we truly bear with one another, we'll have unity and we'll have peace. So may that be another motive, kind of, or a carrot on the end of the stick waiting for you, going for you as you are eager to bear with one another. And in all of this, as we, as we apply these things, as we seek for Christ to bear these sorts of fruit in us, we're going to find ourselves walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we receive as we walk with humility and gentleness and patience in love, forgiving one another, preserving the unity and finding peace. So here's my challenge for you this morning. If I haven't already challenged you enough. When things get rough among us, and some of you be like, Scott, you're saying that in the future tense. This is a past tense thing. Maybe they are already rough for you. Maybe things here are already hard for you. Or maybe you have, maybe it's still like a honeymoon phase. Maybe you're new enough and it's like, oh, this church isn't that messed up. Just hang on. Just, you'll find out. <laughs> Either way, if things are hard for you now or if one day when things get tough among the body, when there's some hardships or some trials among us, my challenge Mm, I don't want to put my on the front of that. The challenge from God's word this morning. Don't give up. Put on to put up. Don't, don't give up on this. 
I said it last week. I said it the week before. This is one of the most precious gifts from God that he'll ever give you in this life. And it's one another. And if, if we're, if we're going to be like everyone else out there, when things get hard, we cancel, we cut off. Toxic! But we're going to follow our Jesus. When faith struggles, when trials overwhelm us, we're not going to give up on one another. We're going to put on humility. We're going to put on gentleness. We're going to put on patience. We're going to put on love. We're going to put on forgiveness. We're going to put on unity and seek to maintain unity and peace among us so that we can endure the hardships. We can endure persecution and weaknesses and insults and faults and failures and immaturities and all sorts of things, knowing full well that we have those sorts of things in us as well, but all having in view that God himself for our whole lives and for the rest of our days until we're perfect before him is putting up with us every single second. How can we not also endure one another? And you know, maybe, just maybe, God wants to use your willingness to bear with one another, not just simply as a passive thing for you, but as an instrument of growth because you're committed to one another because there's somebody else in here who needs you to bear with them so that they can grow. But that sermon's gonna be for another time. But for right now, bear with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I thank you that, um, that you are able to do things that we clearly cannot. Your, uh, your foolishness is wiser than all human wisdom, and your weakness is stronger than all human strength. I praise you that you are God that we are not because when the world tries to counsel us that the best step forward would be to cut off toxic relationships with people who seem to be taking advantage or controlling us your counsel is to bear with them for the chance that they might come to know you and they might be able to grow so father I pray for that to rise to be cultivated in our flock with one another, that we would be willing to put up with one another, bear with one another, having been clothed in all of the things that your word requires for mutual forbearance, with humility, gentleness, and patience, with love and forgiveness. And God, I pray, I pray that we would be able to see what we have already been seeing growing in our flock, but more and more that there would be a unity of the Spirit and a bond of peace uniting us in this flock. Give us the grace that we need to be bearable people, to be willing to put up with others, to bear with them for their good, 
If it's our kids, may we do that. If it's our spouses, may we do that. If it's another relationship in the church, may we do that. Give us the grace, everything that we need for us to be able to walk in obedience to this text, to your command, to your word, because your word leads to life. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would stand, I'd love to pray a prayer of benediction over you. But before I pray it, I'd love to offer a prayer for anyone who needs encouragement or healing. Uh, We'll have our prayer team up front. Uh, Also, there's some refreshments out in the lobby. Thanks to our refreshments team for providing that. If you would be willing to hang around, but I also understand it's Father's Day, so there might be some golf game or whatever. Go do whatever. But I'd say this is more important than golf. Um, So hang around. Let me pray for you from from Ephesians 3. Let me pray that doxology. In view of everything that we're aiming for and the text that we studied this morning and the impossibility it may seem, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and all God's people said, Amen. Love you guys. Have an incredible week. Be blessed.